before I start the message for today, I just want to read to you some selected verses from the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. They're not on the screen. They're not. I'm just going to read them to you. Just sit back and enjoy. So she says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. He says back to her, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. So he basically says, baby, you're a horse. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. And she responds back to that by saying, how handsome you are, my beloved. You can just see him rising up. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Next week starts smoking hot. We're going to talk about things that possibly many of you never thought were in the Bible before. Because a lot of us have never read the Song of Solomon. And this is what we're going to talk about. We're talk, if you're interested in romance or dating or marriage, um, this, it's going to be incredible, the stuff that, that we just read in the Bible, what it has to say about all this. Now, Derek said a few moments ago, we, I think we put up another postcard in your bulletin there this morning. And you might be saying, hey, you know, take it easy. You're getting obnoxious with, with this telling us about this series and encouraging us to invite people. I just want to tell you why. Because when we've done relationship series in the past and we've talked about these things, the Bible specifically, principles about how romance works, right? Invariably, many people will come to us and say, why didn't you tell us that you were going to talk about this stuff and the Bible talks about this stuff? We would have loved to invite people to come to this. So this is what we're doing. We're letting you know there's some really cool things. Like after next week, I'm, I'm betting on this. I'm betting that, that there's going to be some guys who are going to be saying to some ladies that, baby, you're a horse. <laughs> and some ladies are going to be thrilled that they've been called a horse. And we'll explain right now. It makes no sense. But maybe next week it'll make a lot of sense. Why, guys, it is an ultimate compliment to tell your woman that she is a horse, okay? Let's talk about God's plan for our lives. Here's what I'd like to do today, right? This is the end of the series on the life of Paul. We have covered lots of ground in the past, whatever, it's been three months talking about Paul. I would really like us to go back and do a recap because there's a clear plan at work here. And there's some things that we can learn in our own lives about God's plan and Paul's life. God does not give us all of this great information, all these tremendous details, all of these phenomenal stories and all the drama of the shipwrecks and the miracles and the healings and the imprisonment, all the... All the all this excitement that goes on, God doesn't give it to us so we can sit around and mourn the fact that, oh my gosh, I wish God had a plan for me. Look, every person, including Paul and every other person that's in the Bible where God is clearly working in their lives and there's a plan, God is only holding that person up before you and before me and saying, look, see how I had a plan for Paul? I got a plan for you. That's what it's all about. We miss that or we get 
frustrated with that or we get discouraged by that and things don't go as as we would like them to go and then our hearts get kind of hardened and all that kind of stuff and we just say, ah, that's for other people but it's not for me. So I want to recap. So I'm going to lay off the preaching for this morning because you get tired of hearing me preach all the time and I just want to talk. I want to talk about some things that we go back through Paul's life, some really important principles. God has a plan. One thing that we should all remember from the life of Paul that applies to each one of us is that God has a plan that is so crystal clear. So, Jeremiah 29, 11. This verse has been the last couple decades been quoted so many times where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He continues on and says, I have plans to give you a future and a hope. That was written to the Israelites. And you might say, yeah, that's the Israelites. They've got a future, they've got a hope, but that has nothing to do with me. Again, that's an example. God lives. I have a future. I have a hope for you. You know, Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, 5, he says, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So look, most of us in, the, in this room are not going to be prophets to the nations. The plan's different. But the point is, is God's holding up Jeremiah and saying, see, I had a plan for Jeremiah. I have a plan for you. Finally, Ephesians 2 says this. For we, that's all of us in this room, are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do all the good things that he did what? That he planned for us to do long ago. Some of you might be pretty discouraged this morning. You might be frustrated about God's plan. You might be disappointed. You might feel like you are drifting. God has something to say about all that. He has something to say to you. He has something to say to me about his plan for our lives. So before we begin, let's just pause and pray. Lord, your plan for each one of our lives is of tremendous importance. Now, we get discouraged along this journey. We get frustrated. We're we're hurt. Um, There's problems that we encounter. We don't know what to do, which way to turn. Some of us in this room right now, we're hurting so bad that we don't even want to hear about the plan. Wherever we are this morning, help us. Help us to hear what it is that you have to say to each one of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Where's the story beginning about Paul? Acts chapter 8, right? Begins, he's there at the stoning, the murder, the martyrdom of Stephen. And what, we're, what are we told about Paul? That he's angry and he's bitter and he's frustrated and he's seething. And he's just so, ah, all this stuff's going on on the inside of him. And then God gets a hold of him. Here's the first thing, first principle. And it is really the first. It is really the first and most important. And this is a thought for you, or maybe it's a prayer for you. For me, it's both a thought and a prayer that I need to remember to pray to God often. It's simply this, God, humble me. If you'd like to write that down on the back of that bulletin, this is where it all begins for Paul. He needed to be humbled. He, he was hanging on to his frustration. He was hanging on to his anger. And when we are frustrated and when we are bitter... We can't get on with the plan that God has for our lives. So we are just stopped. We are on pause. 
And that's where he was. So he's traveling to Damascus because he's so angry and he's on his way and God knocks him off his horse and he knocks him on you know what, right? And then he cuts down his pride and he's blinded and he goes into the city Damascus, humbled, deeply humbled. Here is where God's plan goes into motion for the Apostle Paul. And if it's where God's plan goes into motion for him, it's where God's plan goes into motion for you and me as well. It all starts with humbling. Now look, here's the thing in my life when I've been bitter or frustrated. You know, and sometimes people say, you know, you seem a little frustrated. Are you frustrated? And I, no, I'm not frustrated. You know, you know how that is? I'm not frustrated. So some of us this morning are like, there's people in this room bitter and frustrated, but that's not me. Okay. All right, whatever. Uh, I'll hang on to that. Thinking that for some reason, if I have a temper tantrum and I'm mad or I'm frustrated, somehow that's going to correct the situation that I'm in. And it does absolutely nothing. So much in life, in the Bible, right, is seen as a journey. And then all kinds of people have written about this kind of path that we're on. We're on this journey, right? Anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? Famous. So we all, like followers of Christ, we're on this journey on this path well here's the thing when, when i'm on a journey my whole deal about the journey is getting to the final destination to me when i go on a road trip before i was married it was a race it was everybody else on the road were my competitors and it made me feel good to win the race but then i got married and all the plans changed Let's stop here. Let's stop there. Let's enjoy the journey. Look, there's a sign for an outlet mall. <laughs> and Krista Mize will say, come here. I want to punch you in your face. I'd like to start a fight with you. You know, so, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, f- when we're hanging on to that, when we're not humbled and we're hanging on to all that stuff, we're on a journey, but we're at a rest stop on the side of the road. And you, we can kick and scream and get frustrated all we want. We're not getting out of that rest area. Paul could not continue on with God's plan for his life. Like he couldn't even get started until he was humbled. It all begins with humble. So think about that. Really think about that. God, humble my heart. I know it's a scary prayer to pray. It's one that's going to get an answer. Right? I say this all the time. You think God doesn't answer prayer? Go ahead and pray that one. Give it a shot. Here it comes. Okay? But that's where the plan begins, the humbling of the heart. So uh, really, think about that. Here's the second thing. God, send someone to find me. So how does it go with Paul? Paul goes to Damascus. He he can see again. And he hangs in Damascus for just a little while, just a short amount of time. And then he goes out to the desert. And he's with God in the desert, alone with God in the desert for like, Three years, everybody. You don't. You have to really search through Paul's life to put the piece of this puzzle together. But he's out there for like three years. Look, this is the guy that was on the fast track. He was the guy most likely to succeed when he graduated high school in Tarsus. He, I mean, he was a superstar. And his, his star was just beginning to take off the launching pad. And now he's out in the middle of the desert for three years. He comes back after those three years. And he's probably thinking, okay, man, let's get on with it. It's now time for bright lights in big city. Right? He goes to Damascus. And what do they want to do in Damascus after he starts? speaking they want to kill him 
They have to put the guy in a basket and lower him out of the wall of the city so he can escape for his dear life. And he goes to Jerusalem. Of course, they'll treat him better in Jerusalem. They all know him in Jerusalem because he's the superstar trained under the famous teacher Gamaliel, right? He go there. What do they want to do? They want to kill him. They want to kill him. So he has to flee out of Jerusalem too. So he says, I'm going to go. I know what I'll do. I will go back to my hometown of Tarsus. They all know me there. They love me there. I'm the most likely to succeed. I'm, I'm the superstar of Tarsus. I'm going back to Tarsus. And what happens in Tarsus? Nothing happened in Tarsus. He's rejected. Basically, you know, unless you really read through the story and put the pieces together, you wouldn't realize is that Paul spends like the next six, seven, eight years, almost a decade in Tarsus in total obscurity, almost invisible. And some of you here this morning feel invisible. You do. You feel forgotten. Forgotten by God, forgotten by other people. You feel invisible. Well, here's the thing. He might have felt invisible. He might have felt rejected. But God still knew exactly where he was because God had a plan. And what was a part of that plan? That somebody needed to come and find him. Other people are a part of that plan for our lives. That's why the Bible says two are better than one. We need other people. So you read in the scriptures, and Paul's always mentioning people's names. You know, thank this person, thank that person. Oh, you know, I need that this person did this for me. But why is he mentioning all these names? Because people are important. The plan that God has for your life, you're not going to realize it by yourself. I'm not going to realize it by myself. Other people are going to have to be involved. And so we should pray, God, send me those people into my life that I need. Like, there's all kinds of other people come into my life. I don't need them. So could you send your people into my life that I need? I need those people. So think about that. All right. So now Tarsus, uh, uh, he's in Tarsus, and we Acts 11.25 says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to do what? To look for Saul. That's what we need. We need God to send some people to find us. Now, he has wonderful experience that he goes on all these missionary journeys and God does great things and he has all kinds of highs and all kinds of lows. Remember, you know, he, miracles... It was a time he was in one city and God was just like doing wholesale miracles. It must have been incredible and people receiving Christ as Savior, revival meetings, but there was also low times. There was imprisonment and there was beatings and all of these terrible things. He had one time he was preaching and he preached so long. Can you imagine a preacher doing that? He preached so long that there was a guy sitting in the window and the guy fell asleep in the middle of the sermon, fell three stories out the window and died. The week we covered that, I had Derek preach, and that was intentional. <laughs> Died. Low point. But he goes down and prays for the guy, and the guy lives again. High point. He had all kinds of highs. He had all kinds of lows in his journey. And then he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And everybody's trying to say, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. He says, no, 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 no. God spoke to me. I'm going to Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem. A riot breaks out. You might remember that from a few weeks ago. A big riot breaks out. And they imprison him. And while he's there, a group of people make a vow. They take an oath. We will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. That's pretty serious. We will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. But God had a plan. And so God provides a small army of bodyguards for Paul. And they take him down like he's the king to the port city of Caesarea where he gets to preach to kings and queens. It's amazing. And then eventually he's assigned to a centurion named Julius, a centurion in the Roman army. And this guy is going to take him by boat all the way to Rome. Now, here's the next thing to write down. God, slow me down. God, slow me down. I'm very impatient. And it seems like the more people I get to know that we have something in common. 
They are also very impatient. And impatience is like the exit ramp off of God's plan and path for my life. Maybe you found it to be the same way. I'm always trying to rush God ahead. God's always like, hey, take it easy, slow down. Look what happens in the story. So they're in this boat, and they're going from place to place to place, and now they've reached a place called Fair Haven. And here's how the story unfolds. Acts 27. Much time had been lost. You notice, notice the frustration there right from the beginning. Much time has been lost. They're on a journey. They're trying to get someplace. Time's been lost. So sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to our ship and our cargo and to our very own lives. But the centurion, that's Julius, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot. That made sense. The pilot, the captain of the ship, listened to him. And the owner of the ship, that also makes sense. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority, which also makes sense, he listened to the majority, decided that we should sail on. Julius made a terrible mistake. They entered into a tremendous storm. Uh, I mean, they were all scared for their lives for two weeks. They're tremendously seasick. Has anybody here ever been seasick? Anybody ever been seasick? I've been seasick. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible feeling. We were out fishing one time. And on a boat with, I don't know, it was like 20 people on the boat. I, you know, I was ready to pay the guy to turn around. I said, I'll pay everybody. Can we just go back? This is a terrible feeling, right? For two weeks, even seasoned sailors were just, just losing it over the side of the ship because they're rolling for two weeks solid in this. So it's a terrible decision. And here's what we have to learn. Sometimes we need to slow down. Impatience will take us right off, right? That'll be the exit ramp we get off of God's plan for our lives because we're impatient. We want to rush it ahead. Now, Julius is the one that makes the decision here, the centurion. And here's what you need to know about this. Sometimes other people around you are going to make decisions that negatively affect your life. And here's what you need to know. God still has a plan. God still has a plan, even through other people's bad decisions. Either through other people's bonehead decisions, God still has a plan. And God is still working here. Here's the next thing I would like you to think about or write down. God, help me to listen to the right people. Julius goes, and he's got, he's got a prisoner, and the prisoner's name is Paul, and Paul says, we shouldn't go. And then he's got the captain of the ship. The captain says, no, we should go. Right? And then he's got the ownership. Ownership says, we should go. And then all the majority of people say, we should go. Here's what you need to think about. Sometimes the majority is wrong. Sometimes people in positions of authority are wrong. We need to be very sensitive to listen to the right people. Why did they want to leave that port? They wanted to leave that port. The port was called Fair Haven, and it wasn't a very fair haven to stay in. It was an uncomfortable place. That's why they wanted to go. They wanted to get to the next port right down the road and winter there. Sometimes the place that you and I need to be, God's plan for life, is in an uncomfortable place. Not all the time. They wanted to leave the place that was uncomfortable, get to a comfortable place. Sometimes God's saying, no, stay in the uncomfortable place. That's where you're supposed to be. And we're like, we don't like that. We're like, get me out of here. This is terrible. Sometimes it's exactly where God wants you to winter in for a season, to stay in a place that is uncomfortable. And we need to listen to the right people. Sometimes the wrong people will lead us to something where God is not leading us to. Here's the next one. God, speak to me. God speaks to him. God spoke to him back in Acts 23, and he speaks to him again on the ship. 
in the middle of the storm, he says basically the exact same thing to him. It says, Acts 23, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, and this is when he was in prison back in Jerusalem. This is when the whole journey to Rome begins. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. He says, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. So what's he saying to Paul? You're headed to Rome. That's where you're going. Now he says this again. Now, this is the middle of the storm. Acts 27, do not be afraid. Th those are good words right there. You know why? Because sometimes we read about a guy like Paul and we think, oh man, that guy's like a robot. He's like a machine. He's just cranking it out. And he's not afraid and everything's good. No, 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 no. God said to him, don't be afraid. You know why? He was afraid. Just like you, just like me. Where am I going? I'm drifting. I'm getting ready to fall off the face of the earth. God, you don't have a plan for me and I'm afraid. Paul is afraid. But he had an anchor, and the anchor was the thing that he could keep coming back to over and over again, and that is the fact that God spoke to him and says, you're going to Rome. You know what I find when I take a trip? Here's what I find. It's critical, very critical. It's always good to know where I'm going, right? Isn't it good for you to know where you're going, or do you just get in the car and start driving? It's good to know where we're going. It kind of keeps us on course. It makes us feel like we have a purpose. I can't remember. I'd have never gotten in the car and just driven around because I wanted to pay all this money for gas, and so I thought I'd just drive around for a while because I enjoyed it. I never do that. I like to know where I'm going. It really helps with the journey. God says, Paul, you're going to Rome. Here's the question. Where are you going? Has God spoken to you about where you're going? It's really, really helpful to know. And the fact that God said to Paul, you're going to Rome, anchored him anchored him in a powerful way. So here's what I want to let you know. One thing is that we have a prayer team and they're right over here. And I emailed them just a few days ago and I asked them to pray about this and I asked them to even consider fasting. Did they do it? I have no idea. It's hard to give up food. But anyway, I asked them to consider doing that. But here's what I asked them to do. I asked them to pray all weekend long for every one of you that God would speak. It is critically important for every single one. Look, your life is important. You might not feel like it's important this morning. You might not feel like you're special in the eyes of God, but I'm here to tell you from reading God's word over and over again that your life is very special to God and very important to God. And God has a destination for you to go in. And the wavering back and forth and the not knowing is miserable. It's just miserable. But God has a destination for you and God wants to be. So I ask them, would you pray for everybody all weekend long that God would speak to them, each person, about where your destination is? We need to hear from God. Hearing from God changes everything. Some of you really might consider and really should think about after the service is over, going and praying with the prayer team, let them pray for you. But I want you to know this. Prayer teams have been praying for you all weekend long that you would hear from God because we need God to speak to us. Now let's talk about the shipwreck. That was an exciting time. 276 people on board. They're all throwing up over the side of the ship. They're all scared to death because they think they're getting ready to fall off the face of the earth. That's what they thought. They thought you go west. Once you get past Italy, that, that was it. You right over, down to eternity. And so they were scared to death. Paul says, we're going to land on an island. And sure enough, the next morning, what did they see? They saw an island. It says they saw an island with, notice this, notice the detail, with a sandy beach. It had a sandy beach. The boat gets stuck on a sandbar. And the waves start just beating the boat to death. It starts falling apart. And the word goes out, overboard. Everybody get overboard. Swim for your lives. And all 276 people make it to the island of Malta. 
Now, they get to Malta. And here's the great thing, is the islanders that lived on the island, they made a fire for them, and they welcomed them. They were very gracious. Now, you might think, well, okay, that's okay. What's the big deal with that? Well, here's the big deal with that. Most times when people shipwrecked on islands, they would kill the people who shipped got shipwrecked on it. So this is, a good, this is good news. They've already been through two terrible weeks. They didn't need to get killed on top of it. So here they are. They, they make them this big... It must have been a huge fire, right? 276 people. I mean, that's a massive beach bonfire, right? So they have this big... Bon- and so Paul, who's almost like the captain now, like the centurion's taking commands. You don't even hear about the captain anymore. He's like disappeared. The centurion's in charge of the boat, and it's like Paul's in charge of him. That's how God has worked things out, Right? Uh, that, uh, I don't get to listen to him often, but, uh, Joel Osteen, right? He's coming to town this week. I think he sold out Nats Park or something like that. Coming to town. He always says this whenever I listen to him once every couple months, but I always hear him the same thing. God's going to make us the head, not the tail, head, not the tail. Where's, the, I can't remember what scripture that's from, but anyway, it's a scripture. God's going to make us the head, not the tail. This is like what God does in Paul's life. He starts off at the tail and he ends up at the head. And so here he is, they're all gathering for this big fire and he gets a bunch of sticks and he's carrying the sticks to the fire and one of the sticks was a snake. It was a viper and it latches onto his arm. And they all look at him thinking he's going to swell up and die. And what's so cool when you read it, he just shakes it off in the fire. He's like, you know, I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked numerous times. I mean, people are beaten in prison. What's a snake? This is nothing. This is, is this the best you can do? He shakes it off into the fire and that's it. They look at him. Think this guy's going to swell up and die. He's going to die. He doesn't, and because he doesn't die, they say, "Oh my gosh, he's God." What a reversal! Aren't human beings pretty fickle? You're terrible. You're going to die. Oh my gosh, you're God. You know, this is the second time this has happened to him in his life. Why do they do this? It's like ultimate justice. Human beings are this way. We see something bad happen to somebody, and we say, "They had it coming." Right? Everybody, this happens on the basketball court all the time. So I'm playing basketball. Right? And somebody makes a bad call. There's a huge argument, sometimes a nice fight about it. Right? And then maybe the person, whatever, the person gets the ball back or the team gets the ball And the person, we dribbling the ball after he gets the ball back, he'll dribble it off his foot and go out of bounds or do something stupid like that. And what does every single basketball player say on the court? Ah, the ball never lies. Justice has been done. You deserved it. You're a filthy, rotten, stinking liar. You had what's coming to you. Idiot. Okay. I'm just saying what other people say. So... <laughs> People say, you had it coming. You had it coming, now you're going to die. But then he doesn't die, and he's fine. He's just sitting there drinking his coffee, sitting by the fire, having a good time. They say, oh, man. So here comes this guy, Publius. Love the name. Publius. He's the governor, the Roman governor of the island. He comes, oh, hey, I'm so glad to meet you. Um, My father is back home, and he's sick. On the island of Malta, dysentery was famous. Lots of people with dysentery. You know why? Goat's milk. Don't drink goat's milk. Goat's milk. They had some kind of bacteria in their goat's milk, and so dysentery was running rampant in Malta, has for years. So he goes, he prays for the father. Publius is dead. Guy is healed. Oh, my gosh. Now people come in droves. Dysentery all over the place, you know. They're just coming. He's praying for people. People getting healed. Tradition tells us that Publius becomes the first pastor of the Christian church on the island of Malta. Now, Julius the centurion made a mistake back in Fairhaven. Do you remember that from a few minutes ago? He made the mistake? But God turned it out for the good. Romans 8, 28, right? God is working. God is working. Whether you're making mistakes or other people are making mistakes, God still has a plan. 
Malta today is an island of 400,000 people with almost a 100% followers of Jesus Christ. Today, it is one of the strongest percentages, concentrations of followers of Jesus Christ that we have on this planet, everybody. You think about from Genesis. Remember Joseph, the guy, his brothers sold him into slavery. Wicked thing. They sold him into slavery. And then after he rises to the top, he becomes the head, not the tail, right? He looks at his brothers who've done this. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God turned it around. So some of you, some people have done some bad things to you. God can turn that around. Every year on the island of Malta, February the 10th, the whole island celebrates the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul on the island of Malta. They trek down to a sandy beach that's called St. Paul's Bay. That's the island of Malta today. They stay there three months. They leave. They sail. They make it to Italy. They land in the Bay of Naples. What's Naples famous for? Anybody know? Birthplace of pizza. Paul stops there for a few days. He invents pizza. He continues. <laughs> Straight off. Keeps going. Right off to, um, to Rome. Makes his way up to Rome. Now, here's the thing. Here's the last thing I want to just say here. He's under house arrest, everybody. Now, here's, here is where we really have to piece things together, both from the Bible and from church history outside of the Bible and tradition. Two years, we know this from the Bible. He's under house arrest. This, this, this is what this means. He has a Roman guard chained, uh, more than likely a Praetorian guard because of what he says in just a moment I'm going to read you. Anybody see the movie Gladiator? The guys in the black? Praetorian? That's the Praetorian guard. They're bodyguards to the emperor. He's chained more than likely to a Praetorian guard or what they're called the imperial guard. Chained him. And they do shifts of six hours. So 24 hours a day, he's getting a different guy. So... That's four guards a day, right? So he's got, and they're with him for two years. And what is Paul doing for those two years? Well, he's praying. He's praying to God for two years, chained to him. He's got a guy, a Roman guard, and they're watching him pray to God. What else is he doing? He's preaching. He's got all kinds of people coming in. He's preaching. He's doing service after service. And they're watching. I mean, they're like chained, like a couple feet away. What would that be like for you if you were standing here chained to my arm? Uh, it wouldn't be the same as Paul. I'm not trying to say that because I, I know that I'm no Paul. Okay, but wow, it's watching him preach and pray. And people are receiving Christ and people are being healed and wonderful things are happening. And he's writing. Those two years, he wrote the book of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And they're watching him do this. Now, write this one down, then I want to read this to you. God, help me to see what you see. God, help me to see what you see. Listen to what he says. This, he says at the beginning of Philippians, chapter 1, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, to the Philippian church, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's really served. This is a good thing that's what happened to me. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the imperial guard, the praetorian. There's 9,000 of these guys, bodyguards to the emperor. They all know why I'm here. They all know about the cause of Jesus Christ. They all know that Jesus Christ is the savior of this world. They've heard it. They've seen it. They listen to it, and they all know it. That's awesome. Let me give you something else. This is maybe even more awesome. Philippians 4.22. All the saints here in Rome, he's saying, send you greetings, you Philippians, especially who? The household of Caesar. Like the emperor's household, those in his own household had been affected. 
some of us are suffering so much and we're so far down in a hole, we can't see the great things that God is either doing, has done, or wants to do in our lives. Because we're hurting so bad. And we just need God to pick us up out of that hole for a second and pop our heads out. You know, like that, what is it, chipmunk or thing up in Pennsylvania? What is he, the groundhog? We need to be like, what's his name? Poxitani, whatever, Phil, right? That guy, <laughs> poke our head out, look around, say, whoa, look what's going on here. Wouldn't it be cool to get a glimpse of that for a second? Like in all of our stuff that we go through, wouldn't it be cool to get a glimpse of that just for a second? God gives Paul some glimpses, helps him to see. Now, the book of Acts kind of ends on a somewhat of a painful note. Because what happens here at the end of this, everybody, listen to this. He's got all these people, Jewish people, and they're coming in. He's talking to them. Look, from the prophets, he's making, he said, look, I'm going to go all the way back through history for you and show you that all the signs point to the Messiah and his name is Jesus Christ. And he gives them this information, which was overwhelming. They understood the scriptures in a deep way that we don't understand. And so it is so conclusive. It is so clear. Jesus is the Christ. And you know what they say? They say, okay, thanks. That's pretty good. We'll see you later. Thanks for coming and sharing with us. Like, this is what they've been waiting for all their life. They're waiting for the con- consola- consolation of Israel. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been waiting for the Messiah. And they're like, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. And then he says this. He says, you have eyes to see, but you can no longer see. Because your heart has become hard. You have eyes to see, no longer can see. Here's the thing. We're talking about God has a plan for you this morning. The sad thing is, these guys, they just truck on off. Thank you, Paul. Here's the sad thing. Some of us will leave here this morning and we'll say, thanks, John. Appreciate it. Woo-hoo, God has a plan for me. <laughs> it's awesome. But because of pain or hurt or maybe just over time, our hearts get hard over time. It's happened to me before. People say, God has a plan for you. Okay. The saddest thing is if we just turn and we walk out. This is really important. And God really does have a plan. And God really wants to speak to us. And God is with us even when our ship that we're on is rocking in a storm and we feel like we're going to die. And all I want to encourage you with as the book of Acts ends is to consider this. Don't allow your heart to become hard. Keep it soft. Be willing to see and respond. If a person's heart was soft and they were told by God that God has a plan, through his word, God has a plan, how do you think that person should respond to that and respond in kind? And I want to end this. I want to go back and read you a scene that happens. I'm almost done that happens on the boat, which is really kind of cool, and then we're going to have communion. So it's in verses uh, 33 and 36 to 36 of 27. It's really kind of awesome. It says this, Just before dawn, this is on the boat, this is after two weeks of raging seas. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He says, For the last 14 days, everybody, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food and you haven't eaten anything. Now look, that sounds a lot like fasting. 
We don't know that they're fasting. We don't know that. But it sounds a lot like fasting. And we do know that biblically, fasting was really uh, a big thing back then. People, people fasted because it was so powerful. And I can't begin to do a whole teaching here on fasting. But we know this from the scriptures. Like Jesus says, some things only change in our lives because of what? Prayer and fasting. Fasting is powerful. And fasting is important. And maybe they have been fasting because they're like, oh, God, get us off of this boat. The women's ministry here at Grace is having a day of prayer and fasting this Tuesday. Special day of prayer and fasting on this Tuesday. Information is in your bulletin. What you'll hear this night is you'll hear somebody talk about, a woman will talk about how she fasted recently and God did a miracle. Fasting is powerful. I would encourage you, um, ladies, to think about attending that day. I think it's going to be very, very special. Now he goes on. And this is what he says after this. He says, now I urge you to take some food. Like, fast is over. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, now listen to this. This sounds so much like communion. He took bread and gave thanks to God in front of them. Then he broke it and began to eat, and they were all encouraged. In the middle of the storm, when they feel like they're going to die and God has forgotten them, he says, which seems like he's saying, Let's have communion. The early church believed this about communion. They believed that God was saying, when you take communion, when you take communion, that God was going to be with us. That was what they would say. And what hit me this past week, I feel like Jesus is saying, when we take communion, he says, this is my body, this is my blood. I feel like what Jesus is saying to us is, when you celebrate communion and you quiet yourself and you really are sensitive to it, I feel like Jesus is saying, I will show up. So I asked the communion team this week, I said, will you all please pray this entire weekend? Will you pray that when you say this is the body of Christ or this is the blood of Christ, when you speak those words that each one of us taking communion today would sense the presence of God because from the presence of God, always there is hope. Communion here is open to everybody. And I just want to ask those who are serving communion, if you'll just come and take your places. Uh, I'm just going to give you just a few brief instructions. Uh, it's going to be difficult for those of you who have ADD because we have a lot of people all of a sudden walking around and it's going to be extraordinarily distracting, but fight, fight through it. <laughs> fight through it for just a second. And just a few brief instructions. So the music team is going to come. They're going to play a song. Communion here is open to everybody. This is something between you and God. Not something between you and this church, not something between you and me as a pastor, nothing. Is this between you and God? And the scriptures say we should examine our hearts. And I do believe that when we get still and we get quiet before God in this sacred moment of communion, just like on that boat, how they were so encouraged after communion, I believe if you're sensitive that you'll find that Jesus Christ will show up and he will meet you in a very special way. So I want to encourage you, just don't come up, take communion and fly out. Think about God's plan for your life. Maybe take a few moments back at your seat afterwards and pray about that. Maybe visit the prayer team. God has a special plan for you. You'll come up, you'll take the bread, you'll dip it into the cup, you can go back to your seat to consume it, or you can step to the side, whatever you'd like to do. I'm going to pray. The music team is going to play. And then, please, when you would like, come take communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you uh, Father, that you have a plan, a very special plan for each person here. There's not a person here this morning that is not extra special in your eyes. That God, that you want to do something. Some of us 
Well, we're flying high as a kite. We feel great about life. I mean, things are going awesome. And when we're flying high, God, you have a plan for us. But some of us are feeling low. We are feeling low like we're down in a pit. We feel like we're invisible and forgotten and drifting without any place to go. God, even in that pit, there is a plan. Speak, Father, this morning. Jesus, help us to sense your presence in a powerful way and give direction to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and glory and your holy name. Amen.